Hello, hello. My name is April Malone with Yesterday Work From Home, and this is the podcast. Today, I have a special guest, uh, Angel Rebo from just north of Dallas in Plano, Texas. He's originally from Spain, and he is the CEO confidant. Go ahead, Angel. Why don't you just tell us your story and how did you get to now? Thank you. Well, thank you. Thank you very much for having me, April. It's a pleasure to be here. And thank you, everybody who's listening to us today for being with us. Uh, well, I mean, I, I was born in, in Spain, and I would say that probably one of the reasons why I ended up in Texas, in the U.S., is because I started learning foreign languages very early on in my life. It was, it was in fourth grade where I was given the chance. At that time, in the, the region of Spain where I was born, it's called Catalonia. It's in the northeast where Barcelona is. I was, uh, French was the language that was being taught in school. And it's really like, it was really tough. So we really learned a lot of French starting in fourth grade. But at the same time, my father, uh, my mama and my dad, they said, we want you to learn English at the same time. So we're going to put you outside school after hours, going to put you, you know, as an extracurricular activity to learn English. So I, and I really enjoyed it, both languages. But when I was starting, uh, I think it was my ninth grade, actually my, uh, that summer, uh, my, I, my mom and dad actually paid my sister and myself a summer to go to the UK to actually like learn more and more English. And that was really a turning point in my life because I went from like having to, you know, when you're speaking a foreign language, but you have to like translate everything with your mind. Mm -hmm. After that summer, after that summer, actually, I stopped literally to translate. I was just speaking in English. And that was really a, def a defining, exactly. It was a defining moment in my life because I, I felt so powerful. I remember, you know, after that summer uh, abroad in, in Great Britain, in Scarborough, to be, to be more precise, in the northeast of England, I actually remember going back to my, you know, private school I was still, uh, you know, uh, engaged with. Uh, and I remember going to the same class with the same students and they would say, wow, Angel. This is something, I mean, you speak really fast now. And obviously I had improved my vocabulary and that was probably, you know, now that we are talking about entrepreneur and working from home and entrepreneurship and these kinds of things, I forced myself, I forced myself during that summer because I went there and my sister went there at the same time, the same school. And, I, and also my cousin went there the same school, the same summer. But I said, I don't want to be in the same family ask my cousin or ask my sister. I want to be in a family where there's nobody from Spain. It's very common in Spain to go for the summer to England. I said, no, no, no. I want to be with a family. Well, everybody stayed with a family, so we improved our English. I want to be with a family that actually, and, and if there's another student in the house, please make sure they are not, or that person is not from, from Spain. And, and you know, it, it really happened. I actually shared the room with, uh, with a Swedish guy. Mm -hmm. uh, and it was really a great summer and I was hanging up out with mostly Nordic, you know, boys and girls for the entire summer. I barely saw my sister and my cousin during the summer. But this like small effort I put for, for those 30 days of like not understanding anything, not being able to speak, being by myself, you know, like putting myself into that position allowed me to then make a quantum limp jump, literally a quantum leap jump onto my English skills. And I think as entrepreneurs, as entrepreneurs, we should do that more often. And as you probably have read on my bio, my, my, one of my favorite business mantras, if not my, the most, the, my most favorite business mantras that I use, I created it and I, I use with my, both with my entrepreneurial clients and with my CEOs, is take imperfect action now. Yeah. There's a small things that you can do, but you really don't anticipate the consequences of doing that. And, they, and, and, and that summer was really a big, big, massive example of that. And, you know, fast forward, you know, I ended up, you know, learning obviously much more English. And then my first job was an international uh, job. When I was in college before my first job, I was the president of an international students association. So, you know, everything was about international, international, international. So mm -hmm. eventually uh, in the 90s, I left Spain. I went to the UK to work and to live. And early 2000s, I actually moved to Latin America to live to Mexico City and to, 
uh, Mexico uh, to live and to work. And then 10 years ago, almost 11 years ago, <clears throat> I moved from Mexico to, to here in Plano, north of uh, Dallas. So, um, and I've always been you know, working with, uh, or I had always been until 2016 when I became my own boss, uh, I had always worked with large corporations, multinational corporations, large teams, multi-languages, uh, and, and basically, you know, selling products and services that were high ticket. So I always had to reach out to C-level executives to sell them because they, they were the only ones that had the decision power, the only ones that had the sign-off power to sign the purchase orders and the checks and all these kind of things. So that's why I ended up when I started my own career, my own journey uh, as, a, as the CEO confidant. I called myself the CEO confidant because in the last 20 plus years, I have held more than 1,523 years already, more than 1,500 CEOs to accelerate the growth of their businesses. That's why I, when I started my own journey, I, I, I decided to use that brand, the CEO confidant, as you very well said in the beginning of the conversation, April. Right. Okay. So, wow. A lot going on here. We, yeah. we were t- when your cousin and your sister yeah. went to the UK at the same time, did they stay together or did they also get put into other houses? That's a great question. Actually, they were in the same house, but I, so I, were they, I chose, mm-hmm. sorry, go So ahead. did they end up speaking in Spanish to each other? In the house, did they uh, accelerate their English at the same rate? No, as you let did? me let me take that back. No, now I was I was I was remembering. It's funny how, mm-hmm. obviously, nobody has asked me this question before. But I remember now that my my sister she had a very young couple that were in their house. That was, mm-hmm. So she was hosted by a young couple. Uh, but uh, my uh, cousin was actually on a, on someone else's house. It wasn't it wasn't the same house. Okay. But but they were meeting very often and they were going to the same classroom in the school because we, we would meet at the school, but we wouldn't really talk, you know, I, that was my decision. I'd rather stay with all those other students than to talk with my own family members. I mean, obviously we, we met from time to time, but I always tried to avoid them just because I wanted to make sure I would speak English mm-hmm. most of my stay, most of my time yeah. while in, being in the UK. They're like, I'll see you for the rest of my life. This is a one time in my lifetime opportunity. Yeah, I said that wrong, but you know what I meant. Yeah, no, yeah, 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 exactly. Yeah, you know, I mean, I don't know. I mean, I, I'm a very, let's say, open open to whatever the, you know, life brings to me or the universe brings to me. And there's always been, there has, there has always been, or they have, there's, there have always been very great opportunities to me. So I, I just felt I had to do it. And the whole thing, I mean, it was really the first time ever I was living in a, someone else's house for more than one day yeah. and in a foreign country and speaking a foreign language. And, they, and it was a family with three kids, a girl and two boys in that, in that same family. There was a Swedish guy who was my roommate. So it was a lot of changes. And also living in the UK and living in Spain, there's, it's, it's like two completely different stories in, mm-hmm. in, in so many different senses. So it was a, it was a, it was a great experience, but uh, it was a great experience. And so you feel like that ninth grade experience really springboarded you into your future as far as the business decisions that you've made and the path that you took. Do you want to talk a little bit more about that? Yes, because in the nineties, the late nineties, I was still working in Spain and it was having like not bad jobs, but I wasn't really, I mean, I wasn't really using my full, let's say language potential. I really like I am a people's person, right? So I, I have always been like marketing, PR, um, sales, this business development. That's what I've done mostly on through my entire life, and always having connections, always connecting with people, and you know, talking to people, and and trying to reach agreements with people, negotiating with people all my life. So uh, I, I decided in two thousand and excuse me, at the late nineties, I think it was a, a, during nineteen ninety eight that I wanted to leave Spain. And there wasn't an, there was an, an offer in, in actually in one newspaper in Madrid, it was a job offer. And I said, okay, I'm gonna apply for that offer. It was a nice company, didn't know anything about the company, but it was a nice software company, American company based in London. And I applied for the job and they flew me to Madrid for the interview and I got the job. And only a few months, maybe one month or two months later, I was already, I was already there. I was already in the UK. So, uh, and, and, and I never, 
you know, I never came back. And actually at that time, I even had a German girlfriend. We used to speak in English. I didn't learn that much Spanish, excuse me, that much German. But like my entire life was, was uh, international. And I was, uh, you know, I was going to the, but the headquarters of that company were in Massachusetts, in Boston, outside Boston. And I would mm-hmm. go there for, for, you know, boot camps and for training sessions and for international conventions and international kickoff meetings, these kind of things. So yeah, that was definitely the starting point of my career in as far as international, multinational, large corporations. Because after that, I worked for for another one also. So and and because I haven't had this many jobs since I left Spain, I yeah. have had. So I, I'm not. I've always been like very loyal and very like working with. I mean, I I typically do a good job, and I'm you know I just follow follow instructions but at the same time i'm very creative i like to use uh, Im- imagination and creativity all the time in my job uh, and and try to tr- and try new things and try to do things better so i've always enjoyed the the jobs that i have done and the work i've done with those large corporations and that was mm-hmm. the company actually in 2010 one of these large corporations offered me to come to the u.s uh, when I was in Mexico, they told me, "Hey, we would like to come to the, we would like you to be in the U.S. so we can offer you different jobs." And only within a few months, that was in May, and in, in September, we were already here, and that okay. was ten, 10 years ago. When you were in South America, were you mm-hmm. using your bilingual skills, your trilingual skills as well? Or wait, how many languages do you speak? Five or six? Yeah. So yeah. So when I was born, we speak language. We speak two languages. We speak Spanish and we speak Catalan because that's right. the name of the place in Spain. Mm-hmm. That area in the northeast of Spain is called uh, Catalonia. And then I learned English and learned French. And then le- later on, I learned Portuguese. Okay. So those are the languages I I I, I know how to speak. I'm able to understand a few words in other languages because I mm-hmm. lived for six months in Finland, for instance, which is an amazing country. And I, I, I was uh, and I dated this German girl for right. for two years, so I, I'm, I'm able to understand some German words. Mm-hmm. So there's so for some reason, you know, I've always been prone to learn and to understand and to like <clears throat> foreign languages. So if I move today to another country, I'm pretty sure that I would be able to learn the language of that country easily. If it wow. doesn't matter what country it is. You know. I don't think I could say the same thing for myself, but I have children who were at that young age, who were in a good time of their life to learn. And I have heard recently people say that it is a good plan to learn two languages at the same time. When your parents are like, you're going to learn French, let's go ahead and have you learn English at the same time. Actually, that's good for your brain development. Just go ahead and tackle them both at the same time. And that seems counterintuitive. Um, I figured you should probably master one at a time, but no, it's good. Yeah, it's good. It's good. It's good for the kids. And, and, you know, when we came here, our three kids had different ages. Uh-huh. Um, and it's funny how all three have different uh, accents speaking the same language. So mm-hmm. uh, for instance, one of, one of our kids was like born, newborn. So she obviously speaks more English than Spanish. And she speaks, she feels much more comfortable speaking in English than Spanish. You know, two years older, uh, he speaks both, but he speaks both, but he speaks, um, but he, you, you, can, you can sense a little bit his Spanish accent. And then we have the other one that was when he came here, he was 10 years old. And then uh, it's funny because he, he didn't know a word in English. And then he came here and only within, within a year, he was not only able to speak and, and, and understand obviously everything in English, but also he was in the advanced program in English. So wow. it's amazing, exactly. And actually all my three kids have this easiness for, for languages and for not only for speaking them, but for reading, for writing. They're all very good in writing and reading. Uh, and it's funny how probably that's one of the reasons now that I think about it, that you know when we get when we got when they get these uh, Texas exams, Texas State exams, they always get like the advanced level in English reading or writing, always. And it's funny how they get to this ninety percent, ninety plus percent percentile, which is amazing, right? Because they are foreign, right? <laughs> Isn't it amazing? Like yes. they can be, they can become, uh, they can be like ninety five percent 
plus percentile for reading and writing English. And they can even do it better than people that are were you know born. And right. so that that definitely tells me that we as human beings, the more, as I said before, you know, you don't know and you don't realize when that's happening. But if you put yourself through a, you know, through a hurdle, through something that makes you make an additional effort, you you succeed because you you are you, I mean, human beings, I believe we are infinitely powerful. We really can achieve anything we want. Well, I feel like when you learn a language as your first language, you absorb it. You know, you, you, you just have heard it your whole life and you say things because they just sound correct without necessarily knowing why they sound correct. And when you learn a language as a second or third or fourth language, you've had to study the grammar more, especially if you're comparing, you know, and changing the grammar from one to the other. So I feel like I've been teaching ESL, um, English as a second language, but obviously a lot of these people know multiple languages, uh, for three and a half years. And I have definitely been very aware that some of my students are more articulate about being able to talk about, you know, the grammatical differences and to explain better than I can. I can teach the idioms and the slang and let them know that there, there might've been another word they could have chosen to sound more uh, native. Uh, but there are a lot of times that I've had to go back to my books and be like, I don't remember this concept. I need to look it up before I teach this class. Mm-hmm. So, so this has opened up doors for you as far as multinational uh, corporations and working with multinational uh, CEOs, mm-hmm. CEOs of nas- multinational companies. Exactly. Is that where you are comfortable now? Well, yeah. yeah. Well, I, I, I work with both arenas, right? They work, I work with large corporations and I work with entrepreneurs. Okay. Right. So that's yep. why I always I always said I always say the same thing. You know, I've helped both corporate CEOs and established entrepreneurs to bridge the gap globally for expansion and exposure as a way to accelerate the growth of their businesses. So I have both really literally both like types of clients that I work with now. Yeah. I'm, comf- I'm comfortable with both of them because uh, number one, it's, it, I was really blessed because most of my time in large corp companies, large corporations, and I was both, or I was working with not only with my own sales force, but I was working also with what is called in the, in the world of sales, like indirect sales models, which means that there were distributors, there were resellers that, or there were partners that were selling along with us, but I had to train them. I had to help them, you know, become entrepreneurs. I had so I, had, I literally was the trusted advisor of their company so that they could grow. So that allowed me to all the time. So I was selling th- from this large corporation I was an employee of. I was selling to large corporations, but I was also helping those intermediary, intermediaries right, to grow their businesses so they could help me more to sell to those corporations. So I was both at the same time selling to large companies and, and training and, tra- and, and, and advising small companies to grow fast. Okay. So when I, when I left corporate America, actually it was for me both very, I felt really comfortable both helping corporate America, like, like corporations, like businesses. And I was also very, very comfortable teaching entrepreneurs because I had done for a long time in my life. And it's funny how you don't realize this until you have to do it, right? When you have to do it, then, oh my God, I've done that so many times. So, and right now, just to give you an example, right now it's July, excuse me, it's August already today, it's August 2nd. It's one of my kids' birthday, by the way. So today it's, it's, uh, uh, it's, it's August 2nd and uh, it's the Dallas Startup Week. Dallas Startup Week, it's an initiative that happens every year. And they have these amazing entrepreneurs talking and they, they're the investors, there's corporations. It's an incredible, you know, week of events around entrepreneurship and, and, and around its startups, right? And there's a lot of people and a lot of institutions and, and companies involved. And I'm mentioning that to you because I'm very involved with the startup, you know, uh, movement here in the Dallas area. And I'm very often invited to some accelerators to give speeches, to be the jury of maybe one startup, you know, weekend in which there are several startups pitching us. This kind of things. I'm very involved in the startup uh, arena. Very involved with small business owners that they want to accelerate the growth of the businesses. Actually, just ten days ago, I gave a webinar, literally like the starting the startup uh, webinar to 
or the starting webinar to a group of uh, startup uh, CEOs that uh, were handpicked here in the Dallas area. So I'm very involved in both worlds and I mm -hmm. work and I, I really like to work in both of them. So the in-person world as well as the virtual world. Oh yeah, oh yeah, besides that, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. because actually it's, it's funny how everything, obviously everybody, I don't remember the dates, the, excuse me, the data, exactly data, but everybody was last year impressed about the number of users that Zoom had, right? But I started to use Zoom in 2016, mm -hmm. you know, and I, I remember how people were a little bit afraid of being on camera, but I've been in camera so much and also remember one of one of the uh, when I speak about my bio, I have been hired many times by TV networks to conduct interviews. So I feel very comfortable speaking to the camera all the time. So although you know I have I have three monitors here, I have a, whole, a huge studio behind me here with cameras and microphones and 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 yeah, fans and I mean everything you name it. You know, just because uh, I, I I feel comfortable working from home, I feel comfortable interacting with my clients over, you know, video conference uh, softwares and these kind of things. Just, it's, it's just a skill as, as anything else, you know, it's, it's a skill. The more you yes. do it, the more you learn it. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. So yeah, you, it sounds like you feel like you're very versatile. Like you can feel comfortable in many different kinds of settings with corporate, yeah. with entrepreneurs in person. Yeah. Were your corporate jobs in person? Were you in an office all those years? Or were you doing a lot of remote work back then too? That's a great question. It, it depended on where I was and what my role was. It, it really depended. So for the same company, for instance, uh, for, for one of the companies, I was always in the office. But at the same time, my job was to travel all the time to meet clients, right? So, my, so I would be traveling and working from hotels and clients' premises and then mm -hmm. going back to the office, right? That was that was one of the one of the options. For another company, for instance, first uh, we will have a we will have an office, and I would go to the office. But then I did I was not living at the same town where the office was, so mm -hmm. I was trying to be in the office once a week, maybe one day or two days, and the rest of the time I was again traveling to meet clients. Okay. Um, also, I remember changing roles in that company, and then. I had a more office based where they wanted us to be in the office again. So I think that also the same, I, I, I feel that corporations have also, also tried to test what's, what's the way that their, uh, their employees are more efficient. I guess they have their own ways to see how efficient, uh, how efficient a company is and their employees are. At the end of the day, for me, what I believe is that for me, uh, Employee engagement is much more important. It's much more important that if you work for me, you know, you are really engaged and you really like what you do and you do as much or, and as you can and you do it as, as you know, as you do as, a, as, a, as, a, as good of a, of a job as possible. I think that, you know, and that can happen both working from home and can happen, uh, you know, doing it face to face. It's the same with my kids last year, right? So, uh, we had the choice here in, in Plano to whether to go to the school or to stay at home. And we, we chose to go to school because we believe that social interaction is, is very important. And obviously you, you, you know that because you live that every single day, right? Yes. Uh, and, but even, even the year before, let's say the last part of, 20, of, of 2019, 2020 academic year, right? The last part that we had to stay at home was kind of rough, right? Because- oh, yeah. Everybody, both teachers and students, were trying to adapt to the new situation. And also, as you know, there were a lot of issues with grading. And also, also last year, it wasn't the same if you went to the school that if you were at home. And, and here in Texas, a lot of parents have, have complained about the, the differences in grading, you know, in the grading uh, and the grades and the, and the amount of knowledge. So I think that even as, a, as an SPC, you know, I think that humans, we are still trying to figure out the best way to learn when you cannot be present. What's the best way to do it? It's not for everyone. I mean, there's not a one size fits all because mm -hmm. even that first year uh, when we were home for those last three months, uh, one of my daughters was thriving. My, my son 
wasn't, he was more comfortable at school and less comfortable at home, or my daughter was more comfortable at home and less comfortable at school. And so they had a different experience, even though they were living the same life in the same home and, you know, with the same amount of exposure to their friends. And then this past year, um, I have three children and I think they all just had a completely different experience, even though we did the same thing every day. So same thing with working from home, what works, you know, with that person who's in the office, they might be more productive or efficient there. And the next person might be more efficient at home. It might just be more of a preference thing or personality thing. Mm -hmm. Yes. And as you know, everybody, something that they didn't mention originally, one of the reasons why I left corporate America and I started my job in 2016 was also because I wanted to create my nonprofit. It's called Wisdom for Kids. And we help, we help underprivileged kids in Latin America become entrepreneurs using the local resources. When the three founders of, of Wisdom for Kids, we are, you know, we are all friends, but uh, two of us are coming from the business world and the third one comes from the academia, okay? So mm -hmm. comes from the, so he was, he was teaching teachers for 50 years. So he's, he's taught literally over 12,000 teachers Throughout his life, he was a professor wow. in a very well-known university in Mexico City, and he taught teachers, right? So and he, besides, he's a geographer and he's a, well, he's an amazing individual. I'm telling you this because when we started our nonprofit, Wisdom for Kids, we said, okay, so if we want to teach entrepreneurship, how are we going to do it? And the first thing that we started to think is, okay, how do we kids learn? So when we go to those communities and we teach underprivileged kids, what's the best way that we can teach them? And as you know, every kid learns differently. And if we're talking about senses, for instance, there's people that are more visual, people that are more tactile, people that prefer sounds, you know, there's, there's different you know, styles of learning. And we see that every time we go to Latin America to teach the kids entrepreneurship. So <laughs> we had to come up with a way to teach the kids that would be the most effective way, the most effective way, because you know, reaching out to impoverished communities is not always easy. So we wanted to make sure that we, we, when we were there, we were fully present there. What we did, the workshops that we would deliver would be the most effective possible, okay? So we learned all about you know, how to teach them and how every single kid learn, learns. So uh, we, we actually, before we launched, uh, the, our foundation, our, our, the, the three founders, the one that was a professor in the school, in, in, the, in, in the university, he had two PhD students doing her, their thesis work on our, our workshops. Wow. Yeah, because we wanted to make sure that those workshops were going to be really effective. And we would use neuro-linguistic programming. We would use a lot of things. And actually something that they... I always, every time I'm on an interview, I, I try to suggest that to the teachers, the ones listening me or, or, or listening to me, or today I'm lucky that you are right here, right? It's like of, of, of our workshops, the most powerful moment of the workshop is actually a moment in which the kids don't do anything, but just have their eyes closed. What they do is they meditate. It's by far the most powerful 20 minutes of the entire workshop is the meditation we do a guided meditation with the kids, okay? So we instruct them because they've never meditated before. So we instruct them on how to meditate, how to put their legs, their hands, their, you know, their, where, where, where they have their, where their ideas have to go, their brains, what they have to do with their thoughts. So we explain them how to do it and then we meditate with them. And just that alone is life-changing. Really? It's life-changing. I, I would love to, I would love to have every single school system in the world to have every single day the kids meditate for 20 minutes, 30 minutes, or maybe even a, like a 10 minute meditation in the morning and 10 minute, 10 minute meditation in the afternoon before they leave, something like this, that would be so life-changing for you as, as teachers and also for, for themselves and for their lives, try to or learn how to be calm. That's a huge like move in the right direction because I think that the kids have to learn how to be, you know, how to be with themselves, how to be, how to deal with their own thoughts, their own ideas, how to deal with the arguments that are going on at home or the, the problems that they have, they might have with their, you know, classmates. There's so many things that can be solved just with staying silent and having some, you know, guided meditations throughout the day. That would be, 
I mean, I, I wanted to share this with you because you're a teacher and you probably, obviously, you realize the power of, of meditating. Yeah, I definitely have uh, at different times of my life, you know, tried some different modalities as far as mm -hmm. even breathing exercises. I have, mm -hmm. I have noticed really can help calm me. I have some pretty active kids and I think I have never tried that with them before. It would be a very interesting uh, experiment. <laughs> <laughs> to see how they handle it. And I think it's probably the sort of thing that you practice and you uh, get more comfortable with too over time. Mm -hmm. But as, as we, when we deliver the workshops, it's the first time ever. So right. we, they've never meditated before. So we were so gladly surprised how meditating is innate, innate to them. Hmm. I cannot explain it in any other way. Even even in, in, when we have groups of kids and we can have like groups of five kids and we can have groups of 20 kids, right? When we go there, I mean, we have, mm -hmm. we have had experiences of all sorts of kids, of groups of kids. Even if you find these kids that they can't stop, you know, the ones that they can't stop moving. And during the meditation, it's amazing how seeing everybody else, like with, again, you, you have to guide them, right? I mean, you have to tell them we're going to do this and that's how we're going to do it. And you and you know and you put all your materials out of reach and you have to you, you put your handbags well it's not a problem in the school but in there it is if they have a they have a backpack excuse me whatever mm -hmm. that is it's amazing how the power of doing this in a group everybody falls into meditating almost automatically it's it's amazing it's it's really magic if you haven't tried and, and obviously the the main problem with us with with uh, let's say the schools is that you have to program that many times in the normal school system, right? You have to ask for permission, right? You have to, hey, we're going to do that. That I'm going to do that because of this, because I think it's going to be beneficial for ESL students, whatever that is, right? Mm -hmm. But you have to ask for permission because it's an exception. It's like, um, you know, when, when you hear the national anthem, it's an amazing thing in the morning, right? Uh, it's, it's an amazing thing. And for instance, I come from Spain and we will never do that because that would be considered even if, if we did that in Spain, you can't imagine the amount of people that would complain because we would play the national anthem every morning. But I, I consider that to be so powerful. Like every single day you're encouraged by your, your, your country founders, but by, by what is behind your flag, but what is behind your anthem, right? It's, 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 and, and sometimes we don't, we don't value that, those kinds of things. So it's, it's the same kind of experience, you know, you don't, you don't realize the power of this until you do it. It's the same thing. It's the exact same thing. Do they thing. come out of the meditation and talk about it? Like what is it that makes we, it so powerful for you? Yeah. It's so powerful because of, we ask that, well, number one, because we, we see over and over and over again, that they are natural and meditating. We don't have to do so much they go into a meditation state or a meditative state much easier than we thought. Mm -hmm. We thought that we would have to fight to have them like quiet. No, we thought we had to fight. We would have to fight like to have them with like eyes closed for 20 minutes. No, they do wow. it naturally and they don't open the eyes. Maybe one opens the eyes or maybe two. Again, it's, it's then natural. Number two, when they finish meditating, we always ask them, Hey, how was it? And as, as any other classroom, we ask them, okay, raise your hand, right? You know, it's like, and, and they're very respectful. And then they, they, some of them raise their hands, some others don't. But we have had so amazing experience. So some people say, some kids say we were traveling. Some people say, you know, I was, I was suddenly with some relatives that live, live abroad or live, you know, very far from here. Others just explain a, a nonsense story you know, something that doesn't make sense, but it's a story that they had in their, in their mind while they were meditating. Like a dream. It, like yeah. a dream, exactly, like a dream. So uh, uh, some say that they were traveling very fast through space. So there's many different stories and there's always, there's always a new story. Every time we have a new group, there's always a new, we know there's going to be a new story that day. There's going to be a story from a kid saying this, saying that about the meditation. And remember, it's a guided meditation. So we we handpicked the affirmations. So we basically, I mean, the affirmations are you know, neurolinguistically programmed, uh, but we tell them you are infinitely powerful. You know, you are all, and we ask them to repeat them with their thoughts, right? So it's all about self-esteem because obviously remember those kids are 
in trouble. I mean, they're impoverished, right? They're underprivileged. Uh, we, we don't know all the actual family facts of all the kids, but we can imagine in, in, in communities where there's not like, like abundance, abundance, as you can imagine, there's a lot of family, this is unstructured families. There's a lot of kids that live with their, not with their next generation, but the two generations above them. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? So there's a lot of lack of love and care and structure in their families. So our, our meditation, our affirmations are very related to self-esteem, that they can do anything, that they can achieve anything, that whatever they, they choose in their lives is okay. We try to make sure that they don't judge themselves. They don't, they are not hard on themselves. We know that everybody's world, everybody's kids, everybody, every kid's world is hard, right? Because we as parents, we try to tell them, you have to do this, you have to do that, because we want them to survive. We want them to thrive. We want them to be successful, right? I mean, that's who we are. Parents, they we... don't get to make all of their own choices. <laughs> exactly, exactly. It's that, it is what it is, right? I mean, that's what happens really every single day. Um, but uh, we, we all we don't learn. I mean, there's not a lesson, right? We don't go to to the to the you know to the college of parenting before we we, we get to have kids, right? <laughs> right. Right. And and but so it happens the same with with those kids. So all the time, all the time, you know everybody tells those kids what to do and what not to do. So when we tell them, if you choose, for instance, if you choose to be a nurse, or you choose to be a teacher, or if you choose to be, you know, uh, military, to be in the military or whatever it is, it's okay. There's no bad, bad choice for you in your life as far as you like to make it. And, you know, it's, it's, it does not go, it's, it's, you're not going to have a bad life because you're going to choose a path that maybe nobody is telling you to choose. Just choose what your heart is telling you to choose and it's going to be okay, you know, because again, those kids come with more pressure on them, on their bodies, on their hearts. Needless to say, very often there are special education kids in, in this group. And you can imagine, typically those special education kids are put aside. You know that. I mean, it's not like in the U.S., right? I mean, we lived, we lived in, the, in, in Mexico and one of our kids was, uh, was in, uh, in the special education for a, for a while, and we 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 had to leave that you know the segregation literally. I'm sorry to use this word, but it, it is really you know when when the special education kids are put aside and nobody wants to talk to them, nobody wants to show them to the rest of the parents. You know what I mean? When in oh. reality, when in reality the kids, the rest of the kids, they really want to involve them. You know, yeah. it, and it's good for the rest of the kids that they understand that there's kids that have special needs. Uh, you know, and 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 there's kids that they might have special needs, but at the same time they might they might they might have special talents and gifts. And you have seen this, and you you see that every single day. There's, there's these amazing kids that they might have some sensorial, you know, um, limitation boundary, right. but at the same time they're brilliant, like like brilliant, and they can do things that you will never ever in your life will do. And that's important to 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 mix those two worlds, right? I want to ask you about your uh, foundation that you've worked on. Yeah. Tell me one more time the name of it. It's Wisdom for Kids. Wisdom, Wisdom for Kids. For kids. Mm-hmm. Your, your new entrepreneurial journey that you're yeah. on right now for the last six years has allowed you to have the freedom to do this. Have yeah. you noticed any parallels between this mission that you've been working on with these impoverished children and your work with uh, CEOs and other entrepreneurs? I like to say I like to say that with our foundation, we are really connecting the unconnected. I have something I didn't mention before, but what we do very often is we have C-level executives record videos for our kids in Latin America, even if they don't speak Spanish. It doesn't matter. Even if they don't speak Spanish, we still ask them to record, and then we caption those videos. Or there was a very nice CEO, very nice gentleman. Mike Hudson is his name. He was so kind that he had someone in his team translate what he was going to say. Like he had a script. I think it was a four or five minute video. He had someone in his team translate it into Spanish. And without speaking a word in Spanish, he made the effort. He made the effort of reading and talking to the kids in a bit on a video in Spanish, reading the script in Spanish. Oh, wow. It, it was amazing. So we try to, to your question, 
we really try to connect those two worlds. And I like to say, we like to say that the kids that we are training, like we're helping with Wisdom for Kids, are the future CEOs of those corporations. Absolutely. Because we teach them, uh, I mean, we really teach them that there's no boundaries, that everything is inside their mind. That, they, you know, and obviously don't expect, I mean, our workshops are not like a whiteboard or a blackboard, like, you know, you have to do this and these are the steps, blah, blah, blah. We leave that to our volunteers to do that in a later stage. Our workshops are all about like energy-based. We, we sing, we dance, we jump, we play games, we dance, you name it. We do all sorts of, you know, all this weird stuff that kids love to do so much. Mm-hmm. We do that. We do that, you know, along with the meditation uh, because we really want to connect with them. We, we, we have that chance of being with them that day. Obviously, we have to ask for permission before and we have to talk to yeah. the community leaders and everything. They talk to their parents and they tell them what we're going to do, blah, blah, blah. But we want to make the most of that experience. So mm-hmm. we connect with those kids in a way that probably they have never connected with anyone else before. They've never had this. And when we go to those communities, the first question that the community leaders ask us all the time always is, okay, so all of this that you want to do with our kids, how much is going to cost us? It's always the first question, always. And we say, no, no, this is a nonprofit organization and we do that, we do that for free. And we are very cautious, actually, let me tell you, because we've helped more than 1,000 kids now. Um, we're very cautious about the names. We never write down a single name of a single kid. We don't keep a registry. We don't keep track of the names, nothing, because we don't want to do it. We don't want to have take the risk of having the names of those kids, the ages, the, you know, the locations where they are. We yeah. don't want to, we, we don't want to risk it. We, we, you know, we don't, exactly for privacy. Uh, again, because unfortunately, as you know, there's a lot of uh, you know, trafficking going on in the world that we don't know of. And we, we don't want to have any, 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 you know, any kind Part of, of risk. Yeah. Exactly. So we are very, but at the same time, for instance, we make all the kids. One of the first things we do is we make all the kids actually to draw, to make a drawing in one, in a, in a piece of uh, cardboard that we give them in the beginning of the workshop. And we give them, you know, pens and penny and 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 and, and uh, pencils, and they ask. We ask them to, how do you feel right now? Because this way, we we already see, you know, when we collect all those cards, right? So we already we immediately see since the very beginning of the of that workshop how they feel, how they are. You know, as you know, you can tell a lot of things from a drawing from a kid, a lot of things, right? Mm-hmm. So. This is, these are all these different things, like, again, very unconventional stuff that we do just to make sure that we make the most of those of those workshops with those underprivileged kids. Right. And you're touching on all those different learning modalities as well. Excuse me? Uh, and you're touching on the different learning yes, modalities yes, when you're yes, totally. jumping and dancing and, totally. and drawing and singing. Totally. You're touching on all of those. It's, yes. it's really making me remember a, a situation that I had when I was traveling um, internationally with a group and we would go into the schools and we would do, it was, it was more brief than what you're doing. Yours is your workshops are more involved, but we would come in with a motivational message and anti-drugs and make good choices. And we tell personal stories and we invite them to a concert afterward, different things like that. Um, but I remember having this experience where I had been week after week after week going through systematically systematically through the public school system. I think we were in Kosovo and um, seeing, you know, hundreds and hundreds and hundreds and thousands of kids and thinking, you know what, I probably in the course of these past two weeks have met or shaken the hands or, you know, talked to the future president of, you know, this, this country or this area that we're in. And what you're saying is, you know, investing in those kids that might not otherwise have, you know, someone investing in them uh, because they might be the next person, you know, you always say that cures cancer or something like that. But like right now, I'm even thinking about our recycling problem we have in the United States. Uh, Our city has just decided that they cannot recycle glass anymore. Um, For a while, they weren't accepting paper. And I'm like, of all things, it seems like glass and paper should be the most easy to, you know, make new things from again. And they're like, it's not cost effective. You know, it's not worth the time. We don't have the, the people willing to work for the low wages that, you know, they would need to, to be able to make this worth it. 
And all I can think is we have to get our kids in the public school systems and the private school systems. I don't care who they are to do their science projects, you know, try to get innovative because when they get to college, those research centers have the funding for, you know, the research that we don't generally have. I mean, unless you're like in the private industry, Mm -hmm. Um, someone has got to solve this problem and it's probably not going to be 60 year old, you know, executives that are going to solve this problem. It has to be the kids who are growing up to be able to take over, you know, solving these big problems that we have. Otherwise they're going to look like Wally, you know, with the piles of trash everywhere. So that was my little side trip there. I agree. I agree. I agree. I think that that's why it's so important. And you see that with your own kids, April, it's so important to make sure that you, that the creativity of your kids stays intact, if not promoted as they grow up. You know, that's why you mentioned the the science project, uh, obviously, I mean, we've been involved with a lot of science projects here as well as any other parent in the country, right? Um, but how much is this creativity um, empowered outside the science project? Because, I mean, again, having this incredible experience going back to the language, right? To so English and reading and writing. Can an English teacher be or a reading teacher, or, you know, can, can that person be, or try to promote or empower the creativity of their students? Of course. You know, there's, there's so many things. What about inventing words? Or what about inventing, or, or you have to write, I don't know, with 10 words, like five different sentences that make, make sense. I don't know. So just try to go like an extra mile and do like this silly stuff that it's going to add an additional edge of, oh my God, I never thought of this. I remember when I was in college, I had the very, my, my main, my most important friend, Ferran, when I was in college, he read a book. And since he told me the book, what the book was about, I, I could never stop thinking about the concept. And the concept is this for, for, an, for a teacher like you, you're going to love it. So he read that book in the nineties. Okay. And the book was, that was the theory. That was the concept. The theme of the book is every single book has already been written. Every single book has already been written. There will be a time in which there will be a computer that will be able to decide how a combination of any number of words makes sense and will start automatically publishing books. So let's say for the sake of the example, let's say it's an again amazing concept. Let's say that we all write a statement of 100 words. That's the maximum, 100 words. So all the statements of 100 words in English have already been written in the world, all of them. You could have a computer generating, you know, as many combinations of 100 words as the English language has, and then only select the ones that make sense and then publish them. If you think about this concept, it's so powerful. And again, I was, that was in the 90s. That was 20, almost 30 years ago. It, was, it led me thinking, so in reality, this is a proof that in our mind, right? Probably all these words, I don't know how many, how many words in English exist. I have no idea. Probably I used, I don't know, 2,000, you being native, 5,000. I have no idea. But So many. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So can you imagine the concept of, Everything has already been written. Every single book has already been written. It's just a matter of just trying to put the same, you know, the same kind of words or the words that make sense around together. It's amazing. So that's, again, one, the message I was trying to just share with the audience is that creativity is all over the place. We could use it with our kids continuously, no matter what. Mm. And, and, and they would, you know, probably we would be caring about other stuff, you know, we would be, you know, instead of caring about drugs, which is a huge problem, as you know, it's a huge problem. I mean, it's, you go to, you go to middle schools right now in Texas and you can easily smell pot. It's crazy. It's crazy, isn't it? You smell pot in middle schools right now in Texas. Right. Really, it's crazy stuff. Needless to say high schools. I didn't say high schools because obviously high schools, it's right. And, well, anyway, and, and again, I'm, I'm not in favor or against, you know, pod. And I know that marijuana can be beneficial health-wise. 
But at the same time, how do we use it? And how do we teach our kids to use it? What's the right, you know, are, are we giving them the right tools to decide what's the good and what's the bad? Again, it's, I think that you and I would, would be able to have a great conversation together about education. <laughs> oh, I'm sure it would be fascinating. And I think that even though, you know, there aren't very many new ideas left right now, we, the way that we present ourselves and the way that we, you know, teach something is still going to always be unique, especially for that unique learner. So the, you know, the combinations are endless as far as, you know, yeah. what might work and help someone and what might trigger someone that, that experience that, that you had in your ninth grade summer changed your life and it catapulted mm-hmm. you into this place where you are now, totally. man, Angel, I wish we would have been able to talk a little bit more about your home office and, um, you know, your work from home life, but I feel like we've had, um, quite a great conversation. I know that you have to go somewhere. So why don't you go ahead and let people Thank know you. how they can find you if um, if they wanted to reach out to you. Absolutely. Thank you very much, obviously, for the opportunity. I mean, my name again is Angel, A-N-G-E-L. Rebo is my last name, R-I-B as in boy O. Uh, the easiest way to reach out to me is to send me an email, angel at angelrebo.com, angel at angelrebo.com. If you go to LinkedIn, I'm on all social media outlets every single day, but if you go to LinkedIn, I'm very active there. I post every single day. Uh, and you look, can look for me, Angel Rebo. You can look for the CEO confidant, the, the CEO confidant. And it would be a pleasure, obviously, to, to answer uh, any of your questions. And, you know, even, even if we haven't spoken that much about working from home, I think that it's been, it's been a good perspective about many different things that happened to the families that the parents work from home. So I think it's still being useful for people out there. And if anyone was interested in learning more about your Wisdom for Children program, yeah, is there a place absolutely. to find that too? Oh, absolutely. They can go to wisdomforkids.today. That's the website. Wisdomforkids.today. Dot today. Okay. Sounds good. Exactly. <laughs> All right. Well, thank you, Angel. I appreciate it. This has been April Malone with Angel Rebo, and we'll see you next time. Thank you. Bye-bye. Thank you, All everybody. Right. Goodbye.